Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. The greatest F1 team. Hello and welcome to part four of a very special seven-part series where we've asked the question, what would the lineup of the greatest ever F1 team look like? From race engineer to team principal, lead driver to chief designer and even the rarely coveted number two driver spot, we've set out to build an F1 team made up of the best there has ever been. Our in-house panel of motorsport experts across Autosport, Motorsport.com and GP Racing have all picked individuals throughout history that they believe are the greatest of all time. And in this series, we'll be discussing the careers and the worthiness of the individuals that have made it into the top three for each job role. And once again, I'm joined by our engineering and design experts, Ben Anderson, Giorgio Piola and Jake Boxall-Legg. Thanks very much for joining me again, guys. So you already helped us get our chief designer in place. But but Jake, what are we saying is different about what a technical director does versus a chief designer? A chief designer is the, the person who dictates the design of the car. The technical director is, I think Pat Simmons once described it as the conductor of an orchestra. You have to be able to understand everything within the team, everything on the car. You coordinate the the build and the design of the car. You have to work with suppliers and partners and essentially bring everything together. You have to be the person, that point man, the person who brings the car together, who makes a concept on a computer into into reality, into the the car that hits the track. And then once it's there, you have to coordinate the you know the development of that car as well. So it's a hugely important role. Absolutely, and and the. the- the person that we're going to speak about first and who is third on our list in third position is probably 
I mean, he's very much synonymous with the team that he currently still works for. And I think it's safe to say is is probably the father of this role. Uh, And that is, of course, Patrick Head, chief designer and part owner of Williams, who then moved into the role of technical director in the 1980s. Uh, and which obviously alongside Frank Williams saw massive success in the 80s and 90s, helping oversee the team rise uh, to third on the all-time winners list in F1 and second in terms of titles. Again, we're talking about men with some incredible CVs, are we not? Yes, uh, I believe uh, that Patrick, for me, is really the number one as a technical director. First of all, because I'm a little bit older than the young guys here together with me, and he was the teacher of all Formula One technical director and chief designer. Because even Ross Braun, uh, Adrian Newey, Paddy Lowe, Neil Otley, Friend Ernie, everybody, they start with him. Nearly all the chief designer, nearly all the technical director in Formula One, they start with him. And he was not only a wonderful engineer, but he was the man able to coordinate the other people. He must be also very strong in understanding the roles of the people. And I remember very often one sentence that he said many times to me, he said, Giorgio, if we have a group of people and one of this group of people wants to do under 20% because he believed to be a genius, he believed to be better than everybody else, he destroyed the group. Everybody has to work 80, maximum 19%, and then the total of all the work of every people coordinating in a good way makes 100%, make the success. So for me, Patrick Hatt was really the man that created all the standard of Formula One engineer that now we appreciate. Nothing to take away from Ross Braun, because again, Ross is very wonderful in doing this. Ross is very able to put the right people in the right place and to coordinate. And again, this is the again the, the, the best technical director, but for me, Patrick Head is the father. Yeah, I broadly agree with that. He's definitely the godfather of technical directors, and he's kind of a pioneer in the role. Um, obviously, he did a, a good job as a car designer himself early doors at Williams and really transformed that team from really a customer car shambles into a, a genuine, proper world championship team uh, and then you know worked so closely with Adrian Newey with, through that extraordinary success period in the 90s for Williams but the thing that maybe goes against Patrick in terms of the ranking is perhaps what came after that you know Newey was obviously ambitious to progress uh, wanted to be a technical director in his own right perhaps Williams and Patrick Hay could have found a way to get out of Newey's way and maybe that success could have carried through into the 2000s, um, you know, Williams declined really um, after the turn of the millennium. They had the BMW BMW engine deal, um, probably the best engine in Formula One at that time. And Patrick admits the cars just weren't up to scratch. They didn't match the potential of the engine. And I just wonder if they could have found a way to keep that head Newey partnership going a bit longer, whether actually we might have seen a different story for Williams and even more success than uh, than they managed. I mean, we got very used to Williams being that successful in the 80s and 90s. But looking back now, is it is it all the more remarkable that it was that dominant at times? What Patrick Head had as a technical director was 
such a good understanding of everything that a Formula One car needed. And I think at the start of the 80s as well, I think is a particularly salient example of that. Uh, obviously, Lotus was the team that pioneered ground effects, but it couldn't really grasp that understanding because Colin Chapman kept wanting to, okay, I've invented that, what's my next idea? And Patrick Head led the Williams team to say, okay, we've got this really good idea. How do we extract the maximum out of it? And so Williams is a hugely competitive force at the start of the 80s, and it continued that through the 80s as well when, you know, the technical landscape was changing, um, went through turbo engines, and uh, Williams got to deal with Honda, for example. Um, obviously, that sort of fell away when Williams had that weird year in, I think it was 1988, with the, the Judd engines. Um, but Williams then picked up again. They had the foresight to pick up the Renault engine, and Patrick Head again, got the right people on board, did what his remit of technical director was, which was, again, conduct this orchestra. And you had Paddy Lowe on, you know, the the, the active suspension. You had Adrian Newey designing these very complex and intricate aerodynamics. He was able to just conduct it so well. Um, and as Ben said, it was a shame that he wasn't able to keep the band together um, because I think if they had passed 1997, they could have really gone on to some amazing things. Yeah, I think I think they're all very valid points and kind of links to who we have in in second place. And it's it's probably a good job that he's in second place because he's already part of our team as our chief designer. So he would have had a lot of work to do if he had to do both roles. And that is, of course, Adrian Newey. And as as you've said, we we can link the Williams success to, to Newey too. And and as as we've we've pointed out that maybe it was Newey's ambition that that kind of broke the band the band up um but why do we why do we think maybe that Nui was voted as more suited to the chief designer role than than Patrick Head even if having had the conversation we maybe don't agree with the with the ranking I think maybe it's a function of um what I was talking about before in terms of his ambition you know he's not alone in the history of Formula One as uh, a designer or technical director who's kind of clashed with uh, the management teams he's worked with. Um, you know, he was so successful at Williams, and as I said, he wanted to he wanted to really take Patrick Head's job and couldn't do that. He then, you know, is coveted by McLaren. He he goes to that team. It doesn't take long before he falls out with Ron Dennis. I accept that's not a very difficult thing to do, and he's not alone in that camp. Um, and it's really only at Red Bull, I think, that he's found his proper feet, you know, a proper balance between what he wants to do, how he wants to work and working in harmony with the other people around him in the senior leadership teams. Uh, and as a technical director, you know, you can't always just do what you want or get your own way. Um, as the others have mentioned, it's about conducting the orchestra. It's about being a team player. It's about recognising the strengths and weaknesses of others. And it's also about how you deal with your higher ups to get what you need for your team below you. Um, and I just don't think if you look at the span of Newey's career that he's always had necessarily the traits that best suit that role. He is better when he's looking at the car and working out how to make the car better and faster. Is there an easy way for us to separate Newey's successes as a designer and as a technical director? Uh, I think so. I think... Um... What you can look at, I think, is McLaren, he was much more primarily focused as a technical director, especially in the latter half of uh, his time there. Um, and obviously, as I mentioned in the chief designers section, he was 
vastly competitive at the start and he was you know penciling these fantastic designs and getting around the regulations but as his role became more technical director influence as ben said he did clash a lot more and this was at a time in i think you know between i'd say 2001 and 2005 for example there was a lot of sort of internal struggling um the mercedes engines at the time weren't particularly reliable um there was the disaster of the the mp418 in 2003 which never made it in a race because the car was so uh, it was unreliable the aerodynamics were were out of sync um the drivers kept crashing it um <laughs> It wasn't a particularly successful period in 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 the team's in the team's life, and I remember speaking to Paddy Lowe about this actually, and he was angling for the technical director job at the time. Um, and he, he's looking back on it, he said the problem with Adrian was that he wasn't focused enough on the reliability side of the car, um, and he was this fantastic designer, but as a chief designer, he it was his way or the highway, and he wanted didn't want to compromise on having you know the leanest meanest car there was a cooling requirement for the car to be reliable so i think that those sorts of vested interest clashed a little bit Nui's going to have to settle for just being our chief designer and uh he's going to have to answer to ross braun with plenty of experience in f1 with williams Haas lola and arrows before becoming technical director of benetton in, in 91 and there obviously he won races and championships with michael schumacher but he cemented his reputation really didn't he when he moved to ferrari and again it was that point of difference and that influence that helped turn the team into the dominant force that was the schumacher ferrari ferrari era um but not just with ferrari though right so Honda was on the right path before pulling out and he proved it with his own team when he kept it alive and won the title in 2009. Now, a lot of people are going to remember Braun for Braun GP and 2009. But what for, what for you guys are, is are Braun's crowning moments? 2000s in Ferrari, isn't it? The extraordinary run with Schumacher, that triumvirate that we talked about in a in previous segment um brawn on the pit wall devising a clever strategy to help schumacher beat hackenden to another grand prix win that for me is the period where you know he established himself as one of the the leading lights in formula one yes i do agree that the best moment of ross when he was able to manage his group and together with schumacher he made the ferrari winning for so such a long time this was wonderful and this was all his ability to coordinate the people to be able to even make the, the Italian part of Ferrari or the engineer working together with a group that he took from Benetton. This was a very wonderful work. And then he's also not only a wonderful engineer, not only a wonderful man in being able to coordinate the people, but he's also very trustful. For, for example, the 2009 car was only the, the, the success of the Braun GP was only about the double diffuser. And I do believe that only Ross Braun could convince FIA and everybody that that solution was legal. Because he is a wonderful, if you want, kind of lawyer, kind of diplomatic. And he was able to, to, to convince everybody. And one example of his uh, way of being trusted by everybody was at the Italian Grand Prix when Barrichello did, wanted to win the race, 
but it was very good, very important for Braun GP to have again Jenson Button to win. And that time, the radio conversation were not very possible. And it was enough from Ron, from Ross to take uh, the, the audio and say to Rubens Barrichello, Rubens, it's Ross. Nothing else. Rubens, it's Ross. Rubens immediately slowed down and let uh, uh, Jenson Button to win the race. And this is fantastic. This gives you the impression how trustful, how powerful was this man, is this man. So it was the precursor to Valtteri, it's James. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is obviously now famous uh, for all the wrong reasons, unfortunately. But no, I, th I think there's no denying that he encompasses um, very, very strong leadership skills, which which everyone seems to to trust and follow. There's there's so many in Braun we trust uh, memes that I've seen across the across the Internet. But Jake, what is it? What is it for you that makes him so special? Uh, I think. There are two examples. I think number one, in Benetton, he was surrounded by a lot of hugely strong personalities. You had Flavio Briatore. We know how flamboyant he is, yet so sort of such a huge personality. And uh, you had Tom Walkinshaw as well. You had Rory Burr on the design side. You had all of these sort of different players who had such strong personalities. And Ross Braun was able to bring them all together and get them to work into almost a sort of unlikely uh, group of people angling for a title. I think the key example is when he started at Ferrari um, in late 1996. The team was known for... It hadn't won a title in years. Um, it was hugely political. The last few years had been, you know, indicated by a lot of political wrangling within the team. And Ross Braun did his sort of walk around the Maranello factory and he was like, okay, I think I know what I need to do. And the first thing that he did on joining Ferrari was he stopped all of the engineers and all of the people who worked at the team from reading La Gazzetta dello Sport because all they saw every day was Ferrari this, Ferrari that, Ferrari is rubbish, that kind of thing. And he was like, I don't need this negativity in my team. I want everybody to stop focusing on what other, everybody else thinks. And, and start focusing on what we need to do as a team. And he turned Ferrari around from being this team that was characterised by political wrangling into a team that was so dominant in the early, um, yeah, the early 2000s. Um, yeah, it was just that force of will, that force of character, the quiet yet firm demeanor that Ross Braun that Ross Braun has so yeah he was a, a fantastic man manager knew what he needed to do to get a team working um yeah so it's no surprise he's number one on this list yeah he has a, this sustained run of success you know kind of magic touch wherever he goes as well we talked about Benetton through to Ferrari uh, but then also you know he he moved into this kind of team principal role after Ferrari taking on Honda um he was able to, you know, have the foresight to see the 2009 regulations, have the foresight to see the 2009 regulations coming and uh, to set Honda up really for what would have been a championship run for them had they not pulled out. He was able to, you know, still pull the rabbit out of the hat running his own team as Braun GP, which then obviously morphs into Mercedes uh, Grand Prix. And, 
we've seen what incredible success that team has gone on to, you know, post him stepping down. But he really put in place a lot of the uh, um, structure that that team then carried on uh, to glory, uh, appointing people like Bob Bell, who um, James Allison rates as the the best technical director he's worked under. Um, so a massive influence from Braun. He's kind of the titan, isn't he? Um, Midas Touch, uh, wherever he goes. Is there any way for us to break down what that Midas Touch was in 2009? What, how, where did that come from? It's uh, it's a lot of things. I know Giorgio likes to say it was just the double diffuser, but there's so many things on that that car. I, I can see Giorgio, he disagrees with this so much right now, but <laughs> there was um, so many other things, I think. The double diffuser, sure, that worked, but Williams had one, Toyota had one, they couldn't get it to sing, but Braun was able to. But it also had, you know, the sort of end plateless front wing, if you like. Um, they were one of the first teams to cotton on that with the new wider front wings, outwash was king. Uh, and it, uh, I think it was McLaren and Renault turned up for the first test with in washing front wings, trying to bring airflow inwards uh, through the tyres, um, through the car and around the tyres. And Braun was like, well, that's stupid. Although they didn't have the money, they didn't have the capital to keep developing that car, it was fundamentally strong. It kind of had a bit of a knock-on effect as well because when um, Mercedes bought the team, it was quite late on in 2009, they hadn't had the money to sort of develop that car. And although it was a you know top four, um, out of the top four teams, um, it, it wasn't on quite on the same level. It was, a, it was a, a mix of different things. And the fact that they had to shoehorn a Mercedes engine in so late in the day into that car and it still worked and it still won the title is a bit of a miracle to be honest I think it, it, it'll definitely go down in, in history as as one of the best um, one-shot wonders that there probably is ever going to be in Formula One I can't think of of many that can compete on that scale bar maybe individual uh, drivers and racers but it's definitely something that that impacted me as as a as a fan watching it was it was definitely something that was that was incredible to watch unfold um and it's it's a cinderella story in in some ways and as you've said has now led into the success of the of the mercedes team and he's then gone on from there to become formula 1's managing director of of motorsports so again in that very much a, a a leadership and guardian uh role of of the sport um which I mean, I don't know what you all think, but I think that's a that's a great role for him, and and I'm I'm always looking forward to seeing how he's going to to help form and change the sport. I don't know if you guys agree with me, but uh, what what do you think? I think it's a sign of the esteem that Ross is held in by his peers that when he decided to take up that role with Formula One, um, and it was offered to him to take up that role and, and try and transform Formula One to forge a new direction. Um, radically change you know the style of the cars and uh, the form of the racing um, you didn't have people um, with divided opinions you didn't have anyone coming out going Ooh, that's a that's a bad decision why have they appointed Ross to do that you know pretty much everyone to a man um, was saying you know this is a great move uh, as you mentioned Jess in Ross we trust totally agree especially what you said uh, about uh, Ross but again I do uh, believe uh, Ross uh, for maybe he's right, is the best uh, technical director. Of course, uh, Patrick Head is the father of everybody. But if we have to p make uh, 
one person maybe is true, is correct. I totally agree with you. And uh, Ross is the number one. Well, following on from our message from Stefano winning Sporting Director, today's winner has also sent us a video message. So welcome to the podcast, the winner of Technical Director and overall legend, Mr. Ross Braun. Hi, and uh, welcome to all the race fans of motorsport.com. This is Ross Braun. I just want to thank everyone for this uh, tremendous accolade, the award for Technical Director. Uh, something that um, is, means a lot to me, very special. I think in these very difficult times we're facing at the moment, it's great to remember the fantastic times that we've had in Formula One, and indeed the fantastic times we're going to have in the future. And it gives us inspiration to fight our way through these difficult times. And Formula One was in a great place six months ago, and it's going to be in a great place in another six months. This has really boosted me and um, I say very special. Great group of people you voted for so far. Uh, certainly a team I would have been honored to work with. I look forward to seeing who the rest of the pieces of the jigsaw are. But thanks once again, stay safe, stay well. And I look forward to seeing you all in the future. Many thanks. Thank you, Ross, for sending us that message. I would say that the design side of our F1 team is looking pretty strong. Next up, it's time to appoint a driver. But before we get into our, our superstar champion in the making, we're looking for a perfect wingman. So make sure you join us for that. Thanks so much, guys, for being on the panel today and diving into the technical side of our team. Uh, and make sure you join us for the next episode, where, as I say, we're looking for a wingman. Thanks so much. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. When I deployed, I didn't realize that even the air I was breathing was dangerous. Since coming home, I've watched friends get sick and struggle to get the support they deserve. But now, that's finally changing. We're eligible for new VA health care and benefits based on when and where we served. Even though I feel okay, I'm going to apply. For my sake and for my family. Learn more and apply today. Visit va.gov PACT. Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.